Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Ranch King. MB Ranch King hunting blinds and feeders are built to last right here in the USA. With durability and convenience in mind, MB Ranch King's maintenance-free blinds are constructed with high-grade steel and come in a variety of sizes to meet any hunter's needs. They also offer high-quality, easy-to-use corn and protein feeders that can be filled with both feet on the ground. Call Kevin today for more info or a quote at 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King built in the pursuit of perfection and also the hunting exchange in this day and age we all know it is a struggle to sell hunting equipment on large social media platforms and that's where the hunting exchange steps in the hunting exchange is an app for ios and android that gives you a one-stop shop to buy and sell your hunting gear whether you're looking to sell your bow broadheads technical apparel stands saddles or anything in between This secure platform allows you to buy and sell gear with confidence. As a buyer, each dollar you spend is insured by PayPal. And as a seller, there are no hidden charges like other platforms. And listing items is also free. Gone are the days of having listings removed from Facebook and worrying about being banned and removed from groups for wanting to sell something as simple as your bow or knives. So head on over to the App Store or Google Play and experience a new hassle-free way to buy and sell hunting gear by downloading the Hunting Exchange app today. I'm Joe Baya here with my co-host Clint Flowers. And you know, Clint, when I bought my latest piece of land, one of the first things I did is went out and started interviewing consulting foresters to try to determine uh, first what you know what kind of timber I had on my property and establish my basis, really understand what what's going on and get a management plan together, go ahead and decide if I was going to harvest timber right off or, or what I needed to do. One of the issues with that is that, you know, I don't really know in a lot of cases what questions I need to ask. And I think a, a lot of people that are buying land for the first time probably have those same questions as, you know, Hey, I, I know I need to go talk to a consultant forester, but I don't know really how to weed out who the right one is for me. So today's show, we're going to be looking into really those questions, what you need to be doing to find the right person for you. But before we get there, let's go check in and get another current Timber Market update. Joining us today is Jonathan Smith, the Executive Director of Timber Mart South for this week's current Timber Market Prices Update. In this week's segment, we're going to be looking at timber prices for the state of North Carolina. Jonathan, welcome back to Hunting Land. What's been happening in North Carolina and uh, what data set are we going to be looking at today? Well, thanks, Joe and Clint, for having me on. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at second quarter 2021 prices for uh, North Carolina. In North Carolina, pine saw timber uh, for second quarter was $30.47. Pine chicken saw was at $17.10, and pine pulpwood was at $9.42. If you change over to hardwood, hardwood saw timber was at right at $30 a ton, and hardwood pulpwood was $6.24 a ton. How does that compare with the four-quarter average? I mean, are we st- are we seeing any movement there in North Carolina? Uh, compared to the previous four-quarter average, pine saw timber is up. Uh, it's up about $4 a ton, and then your hardwood saw timber is up almost $4 a ton, $3.80 a ton. So uh, there's been a little bit of movement upward on your saw timber products. And it's moving those uh, those two products up in rank when compared to the rest of the South. You know, in in my local market, uh, I'm seeing some increases as well. Clint, what what are you seeing out of your area? Are you starting to see any uptick at all? Yeah, we're seeing big jumps, especially in pulpwoods, because of all this wet weather. You know, up until last week, I think we'd had rain 40 or 41 of the last 50 days. So that's caused some extreme shortages. So if you've got some spots these guys can jump around to they're willing to to pay a lot extra for it we've seen pulpwood prices double if not more than that especially on hardwood but our pine pulpwood jumped from ten dollars up to about 2021 you know it'll stay there for a few days to a week go away and then come back again if we get another heavy band of rain back to back to back so we've definitely seen some some upticks depending on what the weather's doing Jonathan, North Carolina, you know, are they experiencing the same 
wet weather that Clint's seeing in South Alabama and uh, I'm seeing in Southeast Alabama and over in Northwest Florida? A little bit. You know, that's current quarter. I, I don't know. They haven't been getting quite as much as has been a little more coastal, but uh, the, the front that was moving through was affecting more of that Gulf area. Is there, is there anything else in the trends or the market indicators? Y'all cover a lot of uh, new mill openings and things of that nature that can lead to price increases or decreases. Um, anything pointing to an increase, a decrease, or are we, you know, we still thinking we're going to kind of remain flat? What, what do you think? North Carolina's had a little bit of news lately. Uh, you know, so the Plosner Mill up in Enfield and NC2 uh, is still shut down. It has changed hands uh, and is now Benderholtz number two. They haven't made any announcements what they're going to do, but uh, Benderholtz did uh, bring that out of bankruptcy. So uh, we'll see if they reopen. Roseburg Forest Products uh, proposed a new sawmill to come online in 2022. Uh, if it comes on as announced, that will be one of the largest sawmills in the South. Along with that, uh, Roseburg is not necessarily North Carolina company, but they are making some noise. They've purchased uh, or they own about 158,000 acres around that mill. So that's on the sawmill side of things. Uh, OSB Engineered Wood, Egger Wood Products, uh, they uh, have a new particle board plant. Uh, that's running at about 70% capacity right now. Uh, And they're scheduled to have full capacity going. So you've got a little bit of energy around your larger products going on right now in North Carolina. There's been some activity on pellets. Active Energy Group uh, is in the final stages of that pellet plant update. Uh, So that'll come online to come up with some pellet market there. Uh, and then Enviva has continued on their expansions that are scheduled to be finalized by 2022. So fair amount of activity going on in North Carolina uh, on both the saw log side as well as the pulpwood side. Well, Jonathan, you know, we talk about it a lot on here. Of course, it's important to have a relationship with a local forester and understand your, your local prices. But you know, I do want to thank you again for giving us a timber market update for North Carolina. Uh, if folks want to get a subscription to Timber Mart South, stay up to date on their area, their state, uh, maybe even their region. Any of these trends that we're talking about uh, that that may be pointing to some movement in the market, how can they do that? Definitely, we, we'd be glad to talk to anybody. I think we do a good job pointing to local consultants, uh, so we have some pretty good lists there. And uh, look us up on our website www.timbermark-south. That's probably the easiest way to get in touch with us. And uh, we'll be glad to try to get you going with a subscription if that's what you need, or we'll try to get you in touch with a consultant in your area. Thanks again, Jonathan. We'll, We'll look forward to getting the update again from you next time. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Well, this week's current timber market update has been brought to you by Brush Clearing Services. If you've been considering forestry mulching, don't forget there is no substitute for horsepower. Brush Clearing Services provides high output, high production forestry mulchers from three to 600 horsepower. Smaller skid steer mulcher runtime rates may be lower, but BCS production will be two to three times more than these smaller machines. BCS prides itself on providing dependable equipment to ensure project completion is on time and under budget. Check out their full line of property and land services at brushclearingservices.com or call them at 706-718-1690. You know, Clay, your dad's a consulting forester. Obviously, they're not all the same, but is it a is it a relationship thing, uh, you know, somewhat? Do you have to jive with that person? What's your first thought on hiring a consulting forester? You want them to be active in your marketplace. And, you know, that's probably step number one. I mean, there's a lot of good consultants out there and a lot of good foresters out there that aren't consultant foresters. And understanding that difference is key. You know, making sure you've got somebody that is your fiduciary. And not every forester is the same and not every forester is your fiduciary if you hire them. So make sure that they are your fiduciary, your true consultant, your agent. And then make sure they're active in the local market so that they can keep track of those things that ebb and flow and move quickly based on your market, not the regional or national things that affect our timber market, like rain and wet weather logging opportunities and, and markets like that, that we've talked about you know, over a few episodes here. Um, 
so that you, you just want them to be able to identify those opportunities and those risks for you locally. Well, to dig a little bit deeper into all the questions, we thought, hey, what about we get a consulting forester on here? And we got a little little bit of a different angle on this today. We're talking with Denson Helms. He's actually an appraiser for First South Farm Credit in Alabama, but is also a con- licensed consulting forester uses that knowledge to help in his appraisal process of timberland properties. So we're going to be talking to Denson today as well and and getting his two cents on the kind of questions you need to be thinking about when it comes to hiring your forester. So Denson, tell us a little bit about what you do at First South Farm Credit and, and, you know, your, some of your background, uh, being a forester and now being an appraiser, uh, how you're using that knowledge and that experience over at First South. Sure, guys. Uh, uh, like you just said, I'm an appraiser with uh, First South Farm Credit, and uh, my background in forestry does help me d- do my job. I, I uh, when I go out and look at a track of timber, uh, you know, through my forestry uh, skills and things I've done in that, it's, it helps me to see value in the trees, the landscape, what a landowner has actually done to get it to that point. So, you know, whether it be roads or good thinning practices and burning and and the wildlife management and that kind of thing that jumps out to me is, you know, from my forestry background. And I can apply that in my appraisal process as uh, moving forward and comparing it to other, other properties in the market there. You know, when I think about a consulting forester and I think about property values, I'm not always just thinking about timber harvest. I'm thinking about the eventual maybe resale of that property. And I would imagine that you see things both ways because you, you obviously, you know what that timber is worth, but then in some cases it can be more valuable to you to, to leave it on the stump. Uh, if you're talking about selling that property again, sometime in the future, I would guess you also see instances where maybe landowners make, make the wrong decision and, and maybe should have managed their property a little bit differently. Sure. Then in too late or too early, not maximizing your income. But just being able to use a property, you know, having somebody advise you on opening up wildlife areas and building good roads for future harvest, future utility of hunting and enjoying the property for whatever it may be you like to do on your recreational property, timber property, just through general management, it enhances the, the aesthetic appeal, the overall value of the property by its potential use, not just the timber sitting there, but what can I do with it? while I'm growing timber. So today's show is going to be all about really the people that are trying to hire a consultant forester. And to be able to do that, I think first you need to understand the differences between the different types of foresters that are that are out there. So there are some foresters that are independent, and those are going to be your consulting foresters, and some that are obligated to a particular company. That may be like a public service forester or procurement forester. Why would somebody want to choose, you know, a consultant forester first and foremost? Well, generally, a consultant forester is going to be registered. And uh, specifically in the state of Alabama, to be a registered forester, you have to have the knowledge and the experience and to hold a valid license. You know, and to get that license, you have to, uh, you have to pass an exam. You have to have four years of a bachelor's of science in forestry and work under a consultant forestry, kind of like an apprenticeship for at least two years to gain that experience. So first step is, of course, determining if they actually are qualified, what qualifications they have. Do you need to ask that question uh, or somebody that's representing themselves as a forester? Is that information that you can go back and get later on? Well, you can go to the, the Alabama Board of Registered Forester's website and check by county and to see if their name's on there. But to be able to practice forestry for profit, you're legally supposed to be a registered forester in the state of Alabama. So once we've determined that this is a, uh, a registered forester, to take me through the differences between a consultant forester and maybe say like a procurement forester or a public service forester. A procurement forester's main job is to buy wood for whatever company they're working for, whether it be a a sawmill, a pulp wood mill, or uh, there are individual companies that just buy wood and, and disperse it out to the mills. A procurement forester's main job and their main interest is to get, you know, wood for the, the least amount, the most wood they can 
move most wood faster. There, um, you know, there are some consultant foresters that may have a logging crew and they wear both hats, but typically a procurement forester, just their main job is to just buy wood, not to advise on if it's a good time or not, whether they do or not. That's, you know, that's uh, between the landowner and that forester and, and talking, but, uh, but that's their main job. A public service forester, you know, they do offer some limited services to landowners, but they work, you know, they work for the state of Alabama typically, and, and they don't work just for that landowner. Consultant forester is going to work for the landowner's best interests and work for itself. So actually, a, I guess a, a third party, if you will. Yeah. Your goals and a consultant forester's goals are aligned, whereas maybe with like a procurement forester, not necessarily as much. I mean, if you've got somebody that uh, could be a registered forester, but if, if you got somebody that's calling you and is interested in your timber, they're most likely a procurement forester or they're maybe not even, may, may not even be a forester. They just may be someone that's in charge of procuring wood for one of those entities you mentioned earlier. Yes, correct. Absolutely. When it comes to why, you know, I mean, we talk about the differences in those different types of foresters, but what, what's the real value that a consultant forester brings? I mean, obviously he's working for you and he's working for himself, but take me through like, say, you know, in your experience, Denson, on, on something like a timber cruise or a sale or a harvest, what are the different ways that a consultant forester can provide value to the landowner? Well, the case in point for the, you know, versus a procurement forester, a consultant forester typically would go out and uh, once y'all decide what timber, landowner, the forester decide what timber needs to or wants to be cut, they'll do a timber cruise to get estimated value of what should come out. So, you know, what you're going to cut, you can, they will mark the boundaries. And then through a timber sale process, a consultant forester should either negotiate the timber price or put it out on a bid sale to get you the best price for your timber versus just dealing with one forester or procurement forester or logging crew. A consultant forester with their knowledge and experience in the market would have those contacts to contact the people in that market hopefully multiple people that would be in a bid process to get you the highest value for your timber product. And that gets back to what you were saying earlier, Clint, about making sure that that forester is active in that local market. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody that first and foremost is, is qualified to operate on the site that you've got. I know we've got certain crews and dealers that we know they're the the guys that are the most efficient in clear cuts. Well, you may not want those guys in a natural stand where you're trying to walk with a light hand and things like that and, and knowing, you know, who to reach out to, not only for the for the bid itself, but also for the for the actual work that you know is going to come on site and, and do the best job. One thing we haven't talked about yet is, is just making sure that that consultant really understands the landowner's goals because it's not always about money. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's a good, really a good segue into those questions that you ought to ask. Denson, do you think that a landowner needs to be telling the forester what his goals are or is it the other way around should the forester be asking what his goals are i think you should ask i mean what's um what are you going to use your property for is it just investment is it just recreation or do you, most people want both they want to be able to hunt it and get the most out of their land you know and then then you can start asking questions about you know what's your long-term goals as far as income you know what's your long-term goals are you going to sell this property do you want it to look good Absolutely. Just backwards and forwards. That's what the forester should be asking landowner what they want and what they need. And then through conversation, they should be able to reach their goals. You know, if you tell a forester what your goal is that you've invented in your own mind uh, and it's unrealistic, how do you respond to a landowner if he says, this is what I want? And then you look at his property and you don't think that that's achievable. Well, you, you have to be realistic as well, too. So you know, if, if it's not realistic, you need to tell them that. You need to be upfront with that. That way they'll know what a realistic goal is. Through communication is going to be the best end, the best end goal, the best management goal or management plan for that property. And if you're not communicating backwards and forwards, the most accurate. Well, just just for example, like you said, if they if they can't reach that goal, then then a consultant forester is not doing their job if they're not advising the landowner, hey, this is not realistic. We need to back up and look at some different options. And then maybe 
you know, throw some other options out there because the landowner may not be fully educated or, or actually know what they really want to do with it. So, you know, you could throw some more options out there and just, hey, we didn't make this a, a, a stellar property. This market's going to boom here in the future and just enjoy it as long as you can. And we'll make it look really good for a potential buyer in the future. But th- I think overall, they need to keep their options open at the end. But, you know, it's time and money. Is it the right time to sell, right time to cut as far as the health of the stand or the market? And that's a, a fluid thing that uh, that communication backwards and forwards with your, your forester needs to be talked about on a regular basis. I think that's key what you're saying. You, know, you, you think about if you got a landowner who says, my goal is to make as much money as possible. And so he's thinking, maybe he's thinking all about timber. You know, when can I cut and how much am I going to cut? But that forester has got to be able to look at that property, the the actual amount of acreage that's there, what the surrounding properties are like, what that area is known for and valued for. And he may say, look, man, you're going to make a lot more money on this if that's your goal by leaving it as a recreational property and improving the aesthetics as opposed to just cutting as much timber as you can out of the property. I think that's, that's what I'm hearing you say is really that that forester has got to be listening to your goals, but then also advising you on how to achieve that end game, uh, not just taking your demands and, and going with it. He's got to really be not scared, not unlike Clint, what we deal with a lot with landowners who are, They've got a price in mind for their property that's that's unrealistic. It doesn't do them any good if we don't tell them the truth about what their property's really going to be worth in, in the current market. That's right. I mean, it's just a waste of everybody's time and effort and money. And, you know, you want somebody that's going to tell you the truth and then be accountable for that. And, I mean, I, I think that's the really the be all end all of, of every professional relationship, but especially when it comes to to forestry because you know you can't put that tree back on the stump once it's on the truck you know denson we talked about qualification and i like that that first question really needs to be hopefully the understanding and the communication of goals and how you're going to get there together but once you've established that hopefully that forester that you're talking to he's looking for your your goals and y'all talked about that what are you doing to actually vet that forester and their experience. What are some of the things that you want to ask to get an understanding of, of how much experience they've got, what type of properties they've managed and so on and so forth? As a landowner, I would, I would ask uh, maybe as simple as how many clients do you have or how many acres do you manage to have you under your management? You know, that'd say a lot about somebody that, you know, if they had a lot of acres that they manage, it would, they would have a good reputation and expertise. I would ask them how many Foresters work with you. You know, say I'm a landowner with 5,000 acres and I'm talking to one man, I, I may need uh, a guy that's got several people that can, you know, work my property. So, so how many people's on your team and how many people are, are foresters on your team and, you know, what are their experience? I would, um, those are, those are just a few quick questions that you could get a, a short resume from somebody to know who you're talking to. Talking about how many clients, I mean, you know, every forester started at zero. So you may have a guy that's super bright, you know, he he knows it all, but he's just getting started. Let's say if you're trying to use that as a determination, I mean, at what point do you start to feel comfortable? What is that number? Is it five clients, 10 clients, 20 clients? Is it clients that are similar to you? You know, if you own 200 acres, do you want to see that he's managing smaller tracks uh, versus larger? Take me through a little bit more more detail on that. I think that's a, that's an intro to a conversation with them, feel out what kind of person they are. If they, you know, some foresters, they, they may have a hundred clients. They may have 200 clients, but they may not have many acres, you know, but you know, they could deal with different landowners and different landowner goals. Some foresters may have just a handful of clients, but they have uh, just a, a whole lot of uh, acres they manage. For example, institutional land, investment type land, those foresters are going to have just tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of acres they manage, but they may only have one or two clients. So, you know, you could weigh that, that go either way. You know, you got a lot of expertise with a lot of management on a lot of property or, you know, a person that has a lot of clients and not many acres, they may be able to better serve you as your individual goals. You know, if you're a small landowner, 
So that could that could go either way. I think that spikes. That's just an intro to a conversation with your forester that could, could start up other questions. Yeah. So one of the questions that raises in my mind is the type of timber that you own, type of forest you have. So like if I'm using myself as an example, there's a, you know, I got a mixture of, of hardwoods and pines. How important is it that a consulting forester have experience managing your type of property? So, you know, if you've got a bottomland hardwood track, do you want to make sure that that forester has managed bottomland hardwoods before? Sure. That's a good question. You know, you can even ask them, uh, have they got some properties that, that they manage? Can you show me an example of your work? And I think if, you know, from a forester, I would be glad to show you some of my work product, you know, and, and go out and look, you know, just say you want to do a thinning or, or a cut some timber or thin out some hardwoods or put in some food plots and you're a new landowner, you don't know what, it's, what it could look like and that not really sure if that's what you want it to look like. So I think that's a, that's a great segue to, to ask them, hey, just can you show me, show me what you're talking about? And you can go out there on these properties and look and say, this is what I'd like to do with your property. Talking about being able to go look at other properties, I think that that's so cool. I mean, anecdotes are always the best way to really see what's possible and being able to look at those other properties and say, man, you know, I could see my place improving in this way. It's really cool. You know, Denson earlier in the show, Clint alluded to the fact that he feels that one of the very first things you need to ask a forester is, is how active they are in the local market. I can see that conversation, you know, on the ground. If you ask someone how active they are, are they active in the local market? That's subjective, right? I mean, you may think you're active and and that may not be good enough for me on a numbers basis. So if you were trying to determine if a consultant forester is active in the local market, what kind of questions do you need to ask them to really get a feel for that? Um, first off, I'm thinking active in the local market. I'm talking about the, the timber market and what the, the mills are wanting and, and, and things like that. So I would just fly out ask them, you know, when, maybe when was the last time you sold some timber or how many active timber sales do you have now would be a good measure of the interest in the market to selling timber. And then that could segue way into what kind of prices are you seeing now? Then if they, you know, the more timber sales they have, the more active they are in the market, the less would be, it's not really an active market. So they may not have a good, a good handle on what your timber is worth at that particular time. And, what about subs? You know, I mean, what about people that they actually are going to involve in a timber harvest, uh, for example? Can you ask them at that time about what types of loggers they use or burn crews or any, anything of that nature? Uh, what kind of, what would be some good questions to ask about those subcontractors? Absolutely. I would, you know, not just loggers, but tree planters, timber loggers, tree planters, anybody that you might sub out some burning or spray into. And as a consultant forester, you should force these people into having some kind of liability insurance. That should be something the forester is going to maintain and make sure they have. So you're protected from a liability standpoint. They should be restful people, you know, that they're using. Uh, And then again, they can, if they use them often and they trust them, they should have jobs that they could show. If you really, you know, if you're really trying to get to know this forester or what, what he can offer you, then that's a good question to ask. Can I see some uh, replanting jobs you've had? Some, if they, you know, if he's got this logger he wants to put on your place to do some thinning, well, can I see what kind of work he's done on somebody else's place? Those are all legitimate questions because, uh, like Clint said a while ago, once it's done, it's done, especially on timber harvest. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought up the, the liability issues. I mean, that, is that something you also need to be asking that forester for? He's going to be on your property, maybe beginning with that timber cruise in, in the beginning. Does he need to have some type of, of liability insurance? How, how do you navigate that? Yes. I'd say that's a legitimate question to ask. Some kind of umbrella policy for the forester. And then they require for their subs to have uh, the same kind of insurance. Uh, I guess how much you want is up to the to the landowner. There's there will be some specific amounts that that forester probably already has, and then has on the the contractors. But you know, worst case scenario, somebody's a logger is working on your property and his skitter catches on fire and your your timbers burn up. You know, if they're not insured, then then you're at a loss. You know, if somebody's spraying and they spray too much chemicals and kill your trees, if you're trying to do some kind of release 
a mid-store release or a, a spray in the pre-site prep. Uh, the, the, you know, this, this kind of liability is, is, is part of the consultant forestry job. And, and you know, what I think they should be looking out for the landowner in that aspect as well. You know, when we are talking about establishing a baseline to start with, you know, typically to me, that means we're going to get it cruised if we don't have that or some idea already. You know, a lot of people, when I, landowners that we work with, I ask them, do you have a timber cruise? And a lot of times they'll hand me this piece of paper with dollar figures on it. And from three years ago, there's no volumes, there's no weights, nothing, no cruise information, how many plots they did, what size plots they did. When somebody wants to get a timber cruise, I mean, what are the basic criteria they need to make sure that that forester understands that they want for their file? A good timber inventory will have how many plots they put in or plots per acre by stand type. And then you'll have volumes by stand and by product. So getting it down that specific as through time, that timber cruise may be good for a a few years. You know, you have some timber growth, but you could estimate based on, it's a good thing for the landowner to have in their pocket. So they know their timber is growing, you know, at a certain rate. But if you have it by stand, by product, your volumes, you could assign a specific price and a specific market at a specific time and get you an idea of what your standing timber value is. So instead of just an overall number, I'm not saying that number is not good for whatever one landowner may have at that specific time, but if they have it broke down detailed, you can work with it in the future more than having to get a timber cruise every year. Would you want to have product specs too, so that you understand like on the saw timber, you know, exactly what what specs they're using in case they have the, the market loosens up on them and they make it push some of that, you know, those lower value products up in the salt timber if, if things move their direction? Sure. Well, you know, and in, in just in Alabama, there's really three main products. It's going to be, you know, pulpwood, saw or small salt timber or salt timber. And then you get into specific things like poles and, and there's some uh, places that do post and, and that kind of thing. So those, those three general products. And then if you, excuse me, if you had the actual that each meal took, that's what the cruise should be done by. But as those products move up, just like you said, in, in years to come, there's going to be a certain percentage of those chip and saw trees that go up into saw timber or pulpwood into chip and saw. But, you know, three to five years, you probably need to be getting a new timber cruise if you have a substantial amount of timber volume. But what I was saying is if you have those numbers as a basis, as a starting for your management of your force, that's a, that's a good thing to have because you could always, as you move forward in those next three to five years, you got an idea of what you have. So anytime yeah. as you move forward, you're going to be implementing thinning and, and some, you know, other civil culture uh, processes. So anytime you cut, that being said, anytime you cut, you need to have another cruise or have those volumes that were taken out of that stand. And then you could go back to your original cruise that you had by product and just subtract them out, which may save the landowner some, some money, you know, as they move forward, so they don't have to pay for a cruise so often. And getting to the stand data to clarify, cause I, I know a lot of people get a little turned around when we get into the, that level of detail, you know, as an example, if you've got a thousand acres and 200 acres of it is in a 30 year old, age class for for pine plantation then you may name that its own stand so stand one of a thousand acres is 200 acres of 30 year old plantation you may have a cumulative result for your total timber volume and value on the whole track but you can go into the the pages behind that into the cruise data and looked at stand one had this many tons of salt timber this many tons of chip and salt this many tons of, of pulpwood so that if your forester calls you and says, hey, you know, salt timber prices are up, you know, we may want to look at advancing our plans a year or two and going ahead and getting into that stand that you can go to, you know where you're going. You're going to stand one as opposed to just knowing that on a thousand acres, I have this many tons of salt timber across the board. If you really get more granular with it, it can help you be more strategic and precise with your management. Absolutely. I think is it just a blanket statement. The more diverse your land is, the more specific you need to be in your data set. We're talking about establishing that basis, establishing that initial timber cruise. And we've talked before about why you want to establish that basis. And of course, 
from a tax perspective, you want, you want that basis to be as high as what is accurate. That brings me to thinking about the timber cruise itself. Do you need to ask your forester or your prospective forester what kind of cruise he's going to do? And I mean, should you care how he's going to cruise that timber? Was there anything to know there, Denson? Well, being Pacific, do you want him to put in, you need to ask the question, are you going to actually give me an estimate for my basis? Are you going to actually do a timber cruise? And the timber cruise is when you take point samples in a stand and then they're mathematically expanded to reach those estimates at the end, the estimates by volume and land class. And when you're doing that cruise, you're looking at those specific products that Clint was saying before by species, by uh, size and height. And in this way, when you're taking those data sets and those uh, on those plots is the information that the forester would take and use to put into his cruise. And generally there's some kind of program now that people use to use and they'll plug those numbers in and it'll give you a, a volumes based on stand or, or uh, species or product class. You can get as specific as you want on that. So, so yes. Yeah, so you ask them if they're going to actually do a cruise and how intense. So just like any statistical sample, the more plots you put in, the more accurate it's going to be. But that depends on how diverse your property is. If it's monoculture, one age, 30-year-old pine plantation, and it's, you've got 100 acres and it's all that same size, height, well, then you know, a, a very intense cruise might not be needed. When I say intense cruise, it, you know, a plot per acre, you know, just a run-of-the-mill inventory cruise would be a plot per five or 10 acres. Gotcha. So we're feeling pretty good now. We, we talked about our goals. We understand the cruise aspect and what we need to know there. We know that the all the liability issues are out of the way and the forester is he's registered, he's he's qualified to be there. I'm thinking next is is actually if we're thinking about a timber harvest and, and a timber a timber sale. So what's the first question you need to ask a forester uh when it comes to when you're ready to actually harvest some trees? Everybody needs to get paid. So you ask them uh, what their fee structure is and, and how do they they expect to get paid for helping me manage my forest. What is typical? You know, what's a range and, and what's typical? And, and, you know, are there folks that do it counter to maybe what is typical? Yeah, that, that's going to be really specific to the size of the property. So, you know, so some people are commission-based. Some people do it by the hour. Some people do it uh, by flat management fee. If you have a large track, just... We'll start with that. If you have a large track of timber and you might lean on your forester regularly. So you guys might come up with some kind of contract. I'm going to pay you X per acre per year to oversee all the timber harvest and spraying, uh, hunt and lease uh, contracts, et cetera, that, that, that goes to hand this property. And then you back up, you get a, a, a smaller landowner and it's just a one-time deal you seek out you want to do a timber sale or replant some trees uh, specifically a timber sale is generally commission based so that that would the commission would be based on more than likely the size of the track so everybody has fixed costs so whatever this forester decided his fixed cost is he may negotiate based on his timber crews with you a certain off the top just you know for easy numbers 10 percent of the stumpage value would be his fee. And then there's some, some forces do it by the hour. They may have a fixed rate fee because in any, you know, timber sale, there's going to be logger inspections. They have wood security they can do for you. That's another service they can offer that you'll be paying for. So, so one of those three, I think is generally going to be the, the way to go. And depending on how big your track is and your management goals, you see which one fits you the best. So that's, a, you know, a commission based on timber sales strictly, and maybe you get some other services out of that. Uh, flat rate fee per acre. And, you know, that would be what kind of work do you want your forester to do for you? And then, um, and then maybe an hourly rate if you just need them every so often just to lay an eye on your property, you know, maybe just do a property inspection. If you're absentee landowner, you may work something out like that with them. Once y'all have decided on, you know, fee structure, you mentioned 
some of the some of the things uh, I think that would make good questions is let's talk about that that timber harvest. I mean, I'm thinking like who's going to oversee that, you know, and and what does that oversight look like is one of the things that I want to know is who's actually going to be there keeping an eye on things while this is happening and and how often. What can you add to that, Denson? And then what do you think is the right answer? You know, if somebody says, I'm, I'm going to check it once a week or I'm going to check it three times a week, where do you feel like is enough? Let's see. Well, let's just say you have a, a logger cutting in a plantation that don't have very many products. Well, then when I say that, they're not trying to sort out wood a whole lot. They're just cutting mainly pulpwood. You might not need to check on them as often as somebody you have a high value 30 year old, that 30 year old plantation where you've got multiple products. We want to check them several times a week, maybe that three times a week that you were talking to. Maybe you stop in there on your way home every afternoon just or various times. But but that's the, that's the logger you want to check on to make sure they're sorting the wood like they're supposed to. You don't want anybody putting a, a nice September tree into a, a load of pulp wood. When that forester, he's out there, when he's out there on that timber sale, there's generally some kind of uh, wood security with load tags. You know, they're making sure they're doing that right. We're up. A load of timber is is marked as pulp wood, salt timber, et cetera, with a with a logger, and they, they put a load tag on that, and it's tracked to the mill. You get a scale ticket, then it comes back to the office and reconciled. And then you know they even some foresters have got cameras nowadays. They'll hide them in the woods where they they count the loads that come out. And these you know they're out there, they're checking these thinning crews for damaged trees. Are we meeting our target trees per acre? Are they cutting too much or too less? So that's going to be on the, you know, the forester and the logger's expertise. And, you know, how much do we need to check them? You know, that, that's all a, can be different or the same, but that's, I believe the consultant forester should do as much as or little as he needs to, to get the job done to the best he can for the landowner. I'm glad you brought up wood security. Take, take everybody through what that means and, you know, um, why it's there. Like anything else, you got a uh, valuable asset there that, that can go missing or hauled under a different. If you got a logger that's cutting two or three different places, they could take one load and move it to another another uh, track of timber they're cutting, and you just don't even know it's gone. Wood security is, is not perfect, but it's something in place to help you reconcile each load that comes off of your property. So there should be a load sheet and a tag. Each has a correlating number. They put that, put the tag on the on the load of timber. The trucker takes it to the mill. It's weighed. That ticket's attached to the scale ticket. It comes back. That and the forester goes out there and he's picking up those load sheets every week, brings them back to the office, and he's reconciling, making sure that those the product matches what it was sold for. The loads, the the loader man in the woods his sheet matches what went across the scale at the mill. And then if, if you've got somebody you really need to check, you can put that camera up and they're, they're out there. If you got one way in, one way out of a timber track, your scale ticket has 20 loads. There ought to be 20 loads that come out of that track of timber. And this reassures that the loggers doing what they're supposed to be doing. The landowners getting paid for what they're getting cut out of the woods. Clint, when it comes to, you've asked this question and, You've gotten the the first response from your forester. What's a red flag to you? Like, what are what are some points of maybe negotiation um, with a forester that you'd want to say? You know, hey, I'd, I'd I'd really rather you be out here this many times. Or uh, what are some maybe things that people need to ask for a little more on? There's not one thing in specific. It's just mainly just that they're being accountable for uh, everything we just really just talked about. Probably the biggest risk in my opinion, is merchandising loss because the guy that's uh, running that paint gun or, or running that loader sort in the wood is is where you make or lose any money you're going to make or lose. You know, if he's putting products that would have gone into a tr- or trees that would have gone to a higher product class to a loader, lower pile, and that's not caught for a month because you only came out one time, then you just lost a lot of money. Uh, if you're not doing the audits like we just discussed, and, you know, it's not all, not all of these things are malicious. Sometimes they're just innocent. Sometimes got, you know, when it comes to merchandising, I've, I've seen instances where somebody just had the wrong glasses on that day and they were crawling the wrong diameters because they didn't realize that they weren't seeing it right. You know, when it comes to the, to the office side of things, I've, I've seen 
checks that were wrong because somebody put in the wrong product code and you know they got paid the landowner got paid for pulpwood even though it was a load of poles you know an extreme example but if you follow that load of wood from the load sheet in the woods all the way through the ticket to the settlement statement you'll catch that because on the load sheet when it left the woods it says load of poles heading to this place here's ticket number and you go back and catch that ticket number and you realize that you just you weren't paid for you know 40 50 a ton that you should have gotten uh and you just need to make sure that you're working with somebody that you know supplies you that level of diligence all the way through uh and then also on the after the fact for cleanup you know making sure that these crews are accountable for you know leaving the woods clean getting the roads fixed back up you know per the agreement you've got you know et cetera et cetera you just want to make sure that you're not having to track them back down later to do something that they should have done. You know, the analogy I use a lot is it's just kind of like hiring a builder to build you a house. He's, he's got his subs. He's got the people he that work for him and with him and things like that. And, and he's accountable for everybody. And so you want your consultant to feel that same way. You know, Denson, we kind of started out the show talking a little bit about, about thinning and maybe whether thinning was right, uh, whether it was, time to harvest, or you were thinking more about aesthetics and that kind of thing. So when it comes to questions you need to ask your forester and, and whether thinning is right, is it always a question of this is right because it's the right time for this stand? Or you should a forester be able to look at this and say, Hey, Mark is not great right now. We can wait a while, or this ain't going to do what you want aesthetically for the property. Specifically thinking about thinning, what are some of the questions somebody should ask? A forester in regards to that well you get the nail on the head you know is it it's always about the bottom dollar but we got to talk about the the health of the forest first so if the market's not good so we can start out with that is are my trees big enough to be thin do my, or do my trees need thinning for a health reason and then you can go on into how is the market now is it am i not gonna am i gonna get the most for my money now or was it higher last year do you think it's going to be higher next year if that question is you know next year well then can my forest wait another year and am, am i having mortality due to over, over dense densely populated stand or do i have a beetle spot that it needs to meet attention so what i said earlier is time and money is the right time for the health reasons and the health of my forest or is it you know the right time for money so there you know those two go hand in hand and you need to as a landowner, be conscientious of that and asking your forester because, it, you know, if you just say, I want my trees thin, then, you know, he, he or she may not say, well, the market's not good now. They may just say, well, you got a 15 year old stand. It, it's time to thin it. You want to thin it? We can do that. But if we can get more money next year, that needs to be a question that's talked about from the landowner or the forester. But as a landowner, I'd always be asking, are my trees healthy? Is it a good time to cut timber? Denson, you've talked a lot about the different components of how you work with a consultant forester, whether that be timber crews or timber harvest. And when it all boils back down to it, it, it's really about the value that any professional, whether it's a forester or land professional, like, you know, like what we do or an attorney and whatever it may be, you know, you're paying them as much for their knowledge, if not more than you are paying them for their time. They're seeing around corners for you and making sure that you don't make mistakes that, that you would have made. And a lot of times we can all be guilty of this, of we're trying to save a cash outflow, but in reality, it ends up costing us a lot more in the long run, you know, penny wise, pound foolish. So when you think about a consulting forester and you think about the value that you provided, just recap for me, you know, maybe just some specific ways that that foresters really provide value to the landowner. I think a consultant forester, a professional, should be working for the landowner's best interest and trying to maximize the income and future return for that landowner. So in doing so, just for the simple example, we keep talking about the timber sales through the merchandising and the timber theft potential, you're saving consultant for it should be saving a landowner that asset that loss of asset right there and then you know going back to thinning too early if we thin too early and a landowner didn't ask that question or a forester didn't bring it up but then the future returns have just been lost so i think a consultant forester's add value to a to a landowner's property by reducing the risk of loss through immediate 
loss in, in timber and or land damage from some kind of process that's being done that's unsupervised by a professional that knows what to look for and possibly a, a, a great future return off that same asset when it was mismanaged in the beginning. I can't agree with you more. I mean, it's not something that I would want to tackle on my own. It is something that I enjoy learning about it, but I'm definitely not the expert. I like to go to the expert and have somebody in my corner working for me. And I think that once you understand that you need this person on your team, the next, the, the really last step is how do I find one? And we talked a little earlier in the show with Jonathan Smith at Timbermark South about how to get pointed in the right direction for finding a consultant for sure. What do you think, Denson? I mean, how did folks find you and, and, and how should you look for a consulting forester near you? Well, I, I think to start with is, is word of mouth is, is uh, the best of all for anything that you're looking for somebody to do a service for you. But if you're a new landowner and you never owned Timberland before and you just don't know anybody or who to ask, you can go to the Alabama State Board of Register Forester. Uh, website there the top right corner up there it says foresters you click on it as a drop down box in there and you can go to your specific county see what forces are registered in your county you can start calling them i'd encourage you to to look at counties around you because foresters are not specific to one county they travel all over and work but uh, as, a, as a new landowner that's a great source because you know that, that person if their name's made it to that website they have pass the test and they have a valid license and they are a consultant forester or have a registered forester license. Denson, share with me how it helps landowners, especially, you know, at First South Farm Credit with you guys being a lending institution, you know, why do they have a registered forester on staff like yourself? I mean, take me through some of the things you do with landowners there. And, and I mean, I just think that's such an asset. You think about you go to a lending institution and they've got a forester on staff. That, to me, that's pretty awesome. So t- tell me how you work with landowners in y'all's institution. As I use my, my forester background to appraise property, like we talked about earlier, you know that the value in that property is sometimes in the trees or how well it's been managed. So by recognizing that for my client and members, there's not a loss in value in that appraisal. I try to uh, recognize that and capture it in the appraisal. You know, if I'm out there and our members got a question, you know, I don't, I don't mind talking to them about timber management. And I hope that, you know, I've been a blessing for somebody this, uh, that I've done an appraisal for in that aspect. But uh, a lot of times we, uh, we can't see the forest for the trees, so to speak, but there's a lot of value in timber land and recreation and, and the standing timber. And it takes a lot of time and patience to get a forest to look a certain way, especially one that's been looked after and, and burned through and, and looked after for the wildlife. And those are the kind of things that, that I think my, my background in forestry helps me to realize and look at. And, and maybe I can, I can help my, my client and my member out by pulling those things out and making them aware of certain things. And a lot of people don't know that you know, if they own Timberland and, and they're financed through First South, if they wanted to make improvements to their property, a lot of times they can use that timber harvest to make those improvements. So it may be in building a barn or constructing a, a pond or a lake. And is that how you get involved in? So, you know, when you get involved in those types of transactions where appraisal is needed for a landowner who's wanting to make those improvements and, and hopefully if he's extracting timber value out of the property, he's putting it back in the form of some other kind of improvement. Yeah. So, so loan officer, they'll, they'll contact the loan officer and, and uh, they go through that negotiation process. And if they want to uh, cut some timber and, uh, uh, put that collateral back into the property, it'd be an improvement or some improvements on the property whether it be roads and, and that kind of thing. That, so they, w- they would work that out, and then I would go out and appraise it as, it as it will be and give that appraisal to the loan officer, and they'll have some kind of a, a collateral value to work with to make that loan. That's very cool, man. It's a unique situation to have those resources all under one roof. Well, man, we appreciate you sharing your, your knowledge on both fronts with us today. I think you've done a really good job for folks that are hiring their first forester, or maybe just considering a, a, a hire, uh, some things that they need to ask to really make sure they find who's right for them. If folks want to reach out to you guys at First South Farm Credit, 
get more information. Uh, what's the best place for them to go? Yes, we have uh, 16 locations in Alabama that make rural real estate loans with attractive rates and flexible terms. Just go to Google and uh, First South Farm Credit and then go to our website and, and uh, find the office that's close to you. We would, uh, would appreciate your business. Well, Clint, the purpose of this show was to be able to give any landowner a list of questions that they could ask a consultant forester to hopefully determine if that person is going to be able to do a good job for them, put their best interests first at hand. And I think that no matter how many questions you ask, you've got to be able to be your own advocate because, you know, it's just like in a healthcare decision. I mean, a doctor is, is a doctor is a doctor, but you've got to make sure that if, if you don't feel right, you need to ask why, why are we doing it a certain way? And it's no different really with any kind of professional uh, foresters are no exception. So for somebody out there who's asked these questions, maybe they've interviewed three guys and they feel pretty good about two of them and they just don't really know how to make a decision and, and go with one. What's your trump card? What's the thing that that you're going to do to help you break the tie? Ideally, they're going to have some sites that they manage that they're proud of that align with my management goals that I'm going to go look at with them. So if you're not a income-driven timberland owner and you don't need to go look at the land of other people that are, you know, you want to get, if you're purely managing for wildlife, then you want them to take you to a site that they manage, that they manage for wildlife, you know, as close of a comparable as they've got that they manage and let you see it. If they don't have any, doesn't mean that they can't do it or they would not do a good job, but it, it, it is, it does make it a little bit more concerning for me that they're not actively doing that. You know, if they've got 25, 30,000, 100,000 acres under their management and it's all institutional grade timberland, then I may not want them managing my recreational property because their mindset is going to be more, more income driven. Whereas if you've got another guy who's equally as qualified and, and half his sites are for landowners like you with similar goals, and he can take you to those sites and show you what he's done, you know, what practices he's applied and everything looks great, then you know, I'm going to say go with that guy. I like that advice. Proof's in the pudding. Folks, that's going to wrap it up this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you got a show topic, that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Hunt and Land podcast has been brought to you by SunSouth. From outdoor equipment, parts, service, accessories, SunSouth has you covered. Own the best for less. Visit SunSouth or sunsouth.com for quality John Deere equipment. SunSouth for those that do. And also brought to you by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients for your deer? Check out Southern Buck. Your deer will love it. Visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. And also, Photonis Defense is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. These ultralight, ultra-compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. Check them out. Photonis Defense, Masters of Darkness. And also Pyramid Air. They believe air guns are for everyone. From big game hunting to fun trigger time to firearm training. Big selection, fast shipping, the air gun experts. Find out more at pyramidair.com. And also brought to you by Ranch King. Save time and money when you buy MB Ranch King's maintenance-free hunting blinds. Call Kevin for info or quotes. 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King. Built in the pursuit of perfection. And also brought to you by Alabama Farmers Cooperative has been serving gardeners, farmers, and everyone in between for 85 years. Visit www.alafarm.com. Dot com for more information and to find a co-op near you and also brought to you by first south farm credit first south farm credit 
can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender. And also Bucks Island Marine. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. You can visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588.